Hey y'all, and welcome to The Wondering Podcast, a podcast dedicated to asking questions about the things that make us wonder. This week, we have a special guest with us, the Reverend Dr. Len Burdick. Dr. Burdick is known in the Winchester community as PL or Pastor Lenny. Dr. Burdick is the Senior Associate and Worship and Arts Pastor at Victory Church. Join us as we discuss socialism and Jesus. I am here with the Reverend Dr. Len Burdick, and we are going to be asking the question, was Jesus a socialist? So I'm so excited. Thank you so much for being <laughs> out. Um, we're doing this a second time. Yes. The first time was really not the best <laughs> sound quality, and we want to make sure you guys are able to hear this conversation because Pastor Lenny um, does a great job just kind of giving us the basics and diving a little deeper into socialism and whether Jesus was a socialist. So let's start right. with the first question. Sure. What is socialism? Well, in my humble mind, and uh, let me just say that uh, I'm very humbled to be part of this conversation. Uh, I'm not by any means an expert, but uh, it piques my interest. Um, I did look up what socialism is according to the Oxford Dictionary, and it says that socialism is a political an economic theory of social organization that advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. Now, think about that. By the community as a whole, how do you do that? How does that happen? Because in any kind of organization, somebody's got to lead. Somebody or you know, at least a small group of people has to lead. Somebody's got to make decisions and be in charge. Now, I kind of look back at the early founders and the expounders of socialism. Uh, Karl Marx, for example, um, the really the modern founder of socialism and communism, called for confiscation of property and a state-run economy. Vladimir Lenin, uh, essentially put the state in charge of the Soviet lifestyle, as he said, for the good of the people. Uh, Joseph Stalin, he said that he would perfect the workers' paradise. Now, as you know, Stalin was the greatest mass murderer in all of history, responsible for up to 50 million deaths. Uh, Chairman Mao is right up there as well. Uh, Adolf Hitler, remember, as as you know, hated as he was and is still, he was the leader of the National Socialist German Workers' Party. Now, people forget that because they use the term Nazi, uh, you know, forgetting what its origins are. Let's look at maybe something a little bit more modern. Look at Venezuela. Uh, once one of the most flourishing, productive countries in the world here comes Hugo Chavez uh, with a socialist mindset, and he practically destroys this once proud and beautiful country. I had the, uh, the great pleasure of visiting it back in 1989 before the regime took over. Beautiful country. Spent some time there. Um, just, just some of the, the founding members or, or the founding uh, espousers of uh, socialism uh, their, their root system wasn't exactly the greatest. Um, I must say, too, like before we go on, that uh, I would hardly recommend a book called 
Was Jesus a Socialist? And this is by Lawrence Reed. Some really, really good uh, practical uh, insights into Christianity, the Christianity slash socialism uh, dialogue. Yeah. So. Awesome. Thanks, Pastor Lenny. Sure. Um, so based on that definition and that explanation, can we say, was Jesus a socialist? Well, I would uh, temper all my remarks with the statement that Jesus made before Pontius Pilate. Uh, just before he was crucified. In John 18, 36, he simply said, my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah. Uh, that that pretty much, I mean, we could just kind of close the book there, but, but for the interest of the conversation, um, there's an article that I read uh, recently that said, said this, when Jesus Christ admitted that his kingdom was not of this world, he was not implying that it was spiritual and or invisible. Actually, he meant that his kingdom is separate and distinct from the system upon which the world's governments of Pilate's time, and even those of today, are built. It will be a kingdom that God himself, not some mortal man, will establish and administrate. A glorious monarchy, I like that phrase, glorious monarchy in which God's will shall always be accomplished on earth. Jesus was not a politician because his primary mission was to be the bridge between God and man by way of the cross. So, so very simply put, Jesus, Jesus is not a socialist any more than he is not a conservative, a liberal, a libertarian, right-wing, left-wing, moderate. He, he is of no political party that was conceived in the minds of men no matter how righteous or wicked man is or was. You see, we get in trouble when we start ascribing political labels to the maker of the universe. Yeah. Who, who has known the mind of the Lord, Scripture says. If you look at Scripture deeper to see how Jesus will reign, you'd have to refer to it as a theocracy, and, and that goes back to that glorious monarchy which will be marked by peace and the perfect will of God being established on earth because true peace will never materialize until the Prince of Peace comes in power to establish it. Remember what, what Revelation says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Christ. Um, looking at, uh, you know, there's, there's several parables that Jesus used um, that will just, I'll just kind of mention Real briefly, he talked about the workers in the vineyard. Uh, there was the a parable of the talents. There was the parable of the good Samaritan. Uh, you remember in the workers of the vineyard, uh, you know the uh, master hired hired people at nine o'clock in the morning. Found out that he still needed workers at noon, and hired more workers. Uh, at the end of the day, toward the end of the day, toward sunset, he needed even more workers. But at the end of the day, he ended up paying each of those sets of workers the same wage. And the people that came early were really, really uh, upset. You know, why didn't we get more? Yeah. Uh, and to which the master said, is it not uh, feasible for me to do with my own money what I desire to do? Um, my own money. I, I, I like uh, the emphasis there. The, the other... Uh, parable the talents uh, one guy uh, traded and made uh, got 10 talents one guy traded uh, 
with two and got five. Um, the last one kept his uh, talent, as you know, and he dug it into the earth, buried it. And then remember, the master came back and said, what have you done? Uh, he, he was the one that got punished. You know, he, he was the one that didn't do anything with the resources that he was given. Um, finally, the Good Samaritan. Um, obviously, we are to be kind, but this man, with his own resources, reached out to the, the beaten and um, uh, the man that was beaten and robbed with his own resources. I, I think the, the bottom line there is Jesus expects us by the changing of our hearts exclusively to give to the poor out of our own resources. That's, that's not the government's job. It shouldn't be done out of compulsion or force through higher taxes and, and self-appointed mandates because what does the Bible say again? God loves a cheerful giver. That's why, see, Sarah, that's why it's of utmost importance that we preach the gospel and call on the Holy Spirit to change hearts and minds, uh, that we you know, not look to the imperfection of man-made governments to solve our problems. But we need to look to Almighty God, the, the maker and creator of mankind through Jesus' Son, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the, the Prince of peace. So. Wow, that's, that's great insight, Pastor Lenny. Thank you. So we can see that Jesus isn't necessarily a socialist based on our definition of socialism because his kingdom is not of this world and we cannot right. define it by terms of this world. Right. So based on that, um, what about the early church? In Acts um, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see that they sold all their possessions, they lived in harmony, lived in this community. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the early church? Were they socialists? Um. Well, I believe that certain of the early disciples, through prayer and changed hearts, I mean, here, here's a group of people that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, what would you and I do if we had witnessed, you know, such a, such a life-transforming truth? I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can imagine just how intense those first days were. And um, I think that those certain disciples— uh, decided that for purposes of immediately spreading the good news, they they went and sold all their possessions and they had all things in common in order that the gospel would have the most transforming, enduring effect at that point in time. That the gospel would have the most enduring effect. The gospel, that that's the focal point. Now, I don't think that they intentionally did that to mark their place in history, per se, but I believe that they were directed by the Holy Spirit to do that uh, for that space and time. See, I don't think for a moment that all the believers gave up their livelihoods and means of making a living for the rest of their lives. We see that, uh, you know, uh, uh, many, uh, many of the disciples that are mentioned, what they did for, for a living. Um, they had skills that translated not only into money, but but services that help their communities grow and, and prosper and heal. And, you know, we're called, you know, Apostle Paul says, we're called to mind our own business and work with our hands that outsiders can see our faith played out in practical ways. So, so let's temper this with more of what uh, Paul said. He said, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And then he says in... Uh, Timothy, 
Second Timothy, I believe. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, now obviously there are people who cannot because of disabilities or extenuating circumstances physically work. We, we, we're well aware of that. We're not talking about these situations. You know, these are the kinds of people that we as the church should be helping to sustain either on a consistent basis or, you know, at least until the person gets back on their feet. But, but if we are truly people, the word, we've got to believe that if we're doing everything we can to provide for our own, that what does Philippians 4.19 say? That God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Um, you know, we really shouldn't be looking for the government to solve, solve all of our problems, uh, especially economic problems. should we respond and act in our world? Well, I think our first duty uh, as believers is to see that God, through the Lord Jesus, is worship. That's, that's really the main uh, focus of the church, is the worship of God. Now, remember what the greatest commandment is. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And then to love him with everything you do and say and think. Um, the, sec- the second thing I would say is we need to make sure that the gospel truth is preached and propagated and spread. Um, people will never think God's thoughts unless they read God's thoughts and are taught God's thoughts. Now, if we believe that the kingdom of God is truly not of this world, we've got to help people realize that the kingdoms of this world need to reflect the kingdoms of our Christ to the greatest degree possible until he comes and establishes his eternal rule in the new heavens and earth. And no political system or government will ever replicate what only God can create in his infinite wisdom and holiness. Um, I guess what I would add to that is I, I would just encourage us to study current events and issues in light of what Scripture says. Um, I had a preacher friend who always said, read your Bible first and then read the network news. Um, now, obviously, there's undeniable bias in the media, both on the right and the left. And the focus, the focus on political differences is dividing everyone, including believers. I mean, we see that all the time, you know, and it's a terrible thing when believers are at each other's throats, because that's the very thing Satan wants to do, is divide the church. Jesus tells us, this by this will all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So we meditate on the truth of God's perfect word and, you know, not the spin cycle of imperfect human beings with imperfect agendas, you know. Um, we need to focus on what unites us. And as believers, that's Jesus and the gospel message. Um, it all comes back to John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. And 
that's the message that Jesus came to bring. He he didn't come to be a you know to espouse um, social justice or uh, trickle down economics. You know, he was he was here to change men's hearts, and that's what we're here to do. You know, first and foremost. So. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. I have the privilege to work with Pastor Lenny, and this is just one of the thought-provoking conversations we have had over the last two years. I hope you are challenged to share the gospel and to also keep track of what is going on in the world around you, remembering that there is bias no matter what side. Stay focused on unity, and remember that it is the gospel that changes lives, not governments.